Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 1-15-2023 and we're continuing our worship service where we left off. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, here we have the thought of the week. Everyone thinks what they believe is the truth. Why is it the truth? Simply because they believe it to be true. For sure, our arrogance is involved here. We sincerely want to be right in the things we trust and hold to be true. This is where we must be careful because everyone cannot be right. Many will swear by, fight for, and even give their lives for their beliefs. Of course, I don't expect to change what everyone believes by writing this discourse. I hope I can shed some light on our approach to truth. If we keep looking for truth in all the wrong places, we'll be, quote, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. We are supposed to believe the truth, but everything we believe may not be the truth. Truth comes as we are trained by the word of God. Who does the training? Primarily, God the Holy Spirit. The material he uses is the Father's plan, which is the mind of Christ as taught through the pastor teacher. <clears throat> the objective, quote, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. We all must start somewhere, and the, mood, the food metaphor is helpful here. There are levels of truth, from the milk to the meat of the word. Quote, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. That's taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Quote, but solid food is for the mature, who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That's taken from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Lastly, training is important, and the word is good for, quote, training in righteousness. Taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And there are other things that we know from those verses in Second Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that um, the, the word is good for several things. Um, re rebuke and instruction in righteousness um, and equipping us for good work. And lastly, uh, that is the thought of week, and I just want to offer a simple um statement for us to live by when we go forward in this sermon, in our daily lives, etc. When Jesus was captured and arrested, Jesus explained to Pilate that my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate asked him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. My comment is, let us be humble and attentive to hear his voice, which is the truth. And now I'll turn it over to Dave for prayer. Oh, thanks, the way. Do anyone have any special prayer requests? Yeah, I have um, Deborah's father who is, is undergoing treatment um, for health problems that he has. And I pray for comfort and, and at least some success in, in the treatments. Yeah, I'll pray for Myers and extended family. Okay. At this time, I think, take you to the point of 
father would come to you or as some as we know how, Father, as you thought to look over those who are in need of prayer, Father. We pray, Father, for our church also, Father, and also for word of our true church, Father, that you may look at everything in consideration, Father, and to protect us, Father, while we still here. Father, we pray for those who are still suffering and still grieving Father, for the lost, Father. We pray for those who have not hurt your birth, so they can start fighting against the Holy Spirit and, and humble themselves, Father, and know that you are the living to God, Father. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those who are in your need, Father. We pray all the blessings in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave and Dwight. Appreciate that. <clears throat> We're going to continue with our review of John chapter 17. Uh, we started this way back a year ago, 11-7-21. <clears throat> it took about a year for us to go through those four chapters. Uh, I'm sorry, for, for us to go through one chapter. Uh, so, but we are continuing and you should have notes in your notes we're going to get right back to where we we left off last week uh just by way of introduction as we have come to the end of this discourse we have taken time to investigate the words of our lord what i find most interesting <clears throat> hold on what i find most interesting is this discourse covers a period where we have a dispensational change Jesus is busy preparing the disciples for this new age. He did not tell everything there was to tell. He said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. John 16, 12. Well, Pentecost came, and we did have major change, just as Jesus prophesied. There were many classic verses, and we got a chance to see them up close and personal. More importantly, my prayer is that they were, we were, that we were true to the context, uh, the and the text and the context correctly handled the word of truth, Second Timothy, two fifteen. Let us look at some of the highlights we discussed in chapter seventeen. So, with that, we're going to scoot all the way down <clears throat> to where we are in our outline. And we land on John 17, verses 24 through 26, the last three verses. <clears throat> and we are focused on point number two, which says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. <clears throat> we covered uh, point A, which was dealt with... Uh, the image of the invisible God, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. We talked about that last time. And, <clears throat> but we're going to progress on to point B, the world does not know the Father. So it says, plain, straight out, though the world does not know you. Well, the world does not know the Father. And even though the Father has made his will known in the world to this day, <clears throat> the world still doesn't know him. That won't happen as we already concluded until we read in Romans 8 where the sons of God are revealed. Then the world will truly not only know, but they will see for themselves what the Father has planned from eternity past. But right now, the world does not know the Father. <clears throat> what do we mean by the world knowing the Father? We mean that the world doesn't know the Father's plan. And that's the significance that the Father brings to the table, is this unique plan that he had uh, hid within himself from all other generations to re only reveal it to us for whom it re pertains this information pertains to us, to bring many sons into glory. So the world doesn't know you. That's point B. <clears throat> point C, it, still thinking about the world does not know you. The Father's plan was kept hidden from the world 
especially the introduction and, a, and an inauguration of the church. This is Ephesians 3, 2 through 4. As we read, it was kept hidden in, in God, right? Uh, <clears throat> but I like the way Ephesians 3, 2 through 4 talks about it. Let's just read it to get us oriented to what the scriptures are saying. Ephesians 3, 2 through 4 just says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And we could go on to verse 5, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So that's that's 2 through 5. And it goes on because it's all about the mystery um, from this point. And so we, we are seeing the revelation of the mystery at this point in time in human history and this is after the resurrection ascension and session and the sending of the spirit uh, so we're seeing the revelation but remember <clears throat> the revelation of the mystery is that it's known now but even still it is our objective to make it known so i like the verse in nine where he says uh, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So God hid this in himself even before he created all things. It was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be, and here it is, made known. So the fact that it is now able to be made known is uh, one aspect of this because now that it's available to be known because before it wasn't available to be made known but now it is it it is not to say that people will see the realization or the fullness of it they are only seeing what we know which is part knowledge the knowledge of it doesn't mean the reality of it is happening now Christ isn't here. He isn't reigning. He isn't all the things that would say that, like it says in Ephesians. I'm sorry, in Romans, where it says, "We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship." So all of it hasn't fully happened, but we are still tasked with making this information known to others, <clears throat> and here even to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And this is all according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this information is ours now to go out and tell the world. But it's not just us, it's through us. Because God the Holy Spirit can do that. He can reveal the information just as he's revealed it to us. But this information is about us. So the world gets to see who we are in Christ with all these spiritual dynamics even before we have reached the fullness of what we will be later when God reveals the fullness of who we are. So back to our notes. Um, It was kept hidden. Point D in our notes. This is 2D. And this is uh, John 1, 18. It's a quote. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Interesting. So when Christ was here, he has made him known, the Father. But it's more than that, because the revelation of Christ, it, it really 
he had a couple hats that he had to wear when he was here. He had to be the Messiah to Israel. He had to fulfill all the scriptures that spoke of him as the Messiah to Israel. And when we think about him being the Messiah, the Savior, you know, people being a substitute for our sins, all of that, we know that that was part of his salvation work. And that was known. That was available to the world. How do we know? Because it was um, given by revelation. And it was prophesied in the Old Testament. We could see, especially as you read Isaiah 53. And I know people, some people have read that and said, well, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. But God the Holy Spirit was there making it available to them, making it real to them. It was revealed. Like we, we said that the mystery was not revealed. But all that information about who Christ was, him dying for the sins of the world, him being a substitute, how the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sins. It, would only, it was only a, a, a put in place to point to Christ Jesus, right, who would actually come and pay for the sins of the world. All of that, we could conclude, was his salvation work. But when it says here in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. <clears throat> that wasn't until the end of his ministry where he began to make the Father known. And what do we mean by making the Father known? His plan to make the Father reveal the new age, <clears throat> just like we read in Ephesians 3 and 2. So um, if we go to John 16, 16 verse uh, 16, 11, uh, 12, 16, 12. Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. So when we're talking about making him known, no one has ever seen God. The Son is the only one who can make him known. How does the Son make him known? We can answer that question right here in verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So there's a transfer of information. And then he says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and what, what he will make known to you. So you ought to know <clears throat> that there is this transfer of information. So it goes from the Father to the Son. Everything that the Father has, he gave to the Son. This is the Roman-style adoption analogy. The Son says, okay, now... I'm going to make everything that the Father made known to me available to you. But whoa, wait a minute. I'm not going to do it until Pentecost. Because <clears throat> Pentecost is the beginning of the new dispensation. New dispensation dawns at Pentecost. And Christ begins to make known this information to the church through the agency of the Spirit. Now the Spirit is saying, don't, don't make a big deal about me. I'm only getting, information that I'm getting and making known to you is from Christ. Christ says, just to let you know, information I'm getting has been given to me by my Father. So it's been given to Christ. So Christ owns the information. The Holy Spirit is not owning the information. He's basically saying, it's not about me, it's about him. Christ is speaking through me. Now, believe it or not, hopefully you believe it, <laughs> the information that the Holy Spirit is making known to us comes directly from the mind of Christ. And that comes from the Father that the Father gave him this. So Christ is being very transparent here. He's not saying, 
I'm the originator of these ideas. I came up with this whole plan. No, no, it's the Father who came up with this whole plan. But Christ owns it. Christ is the one who, where the buck stops. Everything now revolves around the person of Christ. He has the Father's plan. He's the one that makes it known, as we are reading in John 1, 18. He's the one that the Spirit takes from and says, okay, I'm going to make known to you. And Christ has to trust the, the ministry of the Spirit to the extent that the information is accurate and the Holy Spirit can give it just as Christ would have give, given it. So the Holy Spirit is that good to be able to take the information from the mind of Christ and transmit it to us, to our minds, to our understanding, through our spirits, to our minds, so that we can now understand the things of the Father's plan. So there has to be a trust factor here. Christ has to trust the Holy Spirit enough, which he does, and he's trustworthy, he's God, to transmit exactly what he's thinking. <clears throat> and there's another trust factor where the Father has to trust Christ enough to deliver information to him so that it would perfectly re represent what the Father wanted. Christ must, he has what the Father, Christ says, everything that I have, I've given to you. So Christ now says, I'm going to make it known to you exactly what the Father has. So notice the transfer of information, the way it is transferred. And if we add another uh, level of authority, the pastor teacher <clears throat> now has this information. What should the pastor teacher be talking about? This information. Well, we have it in two, two ways. One, we have uh, the responsibility as ministers of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ. And that is making sure that we, we deliver the message of reconciliation. God's not counting our sins against us, telling people the gospel, the bad and good news. And then we also have the responsibility of leading people into the full knowledge of the truth. As we read in Ephesians 4, where it talks about uh, last week, we, we read it in detail, where it says <clears throat> that he is to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up so that we all come into the knowledge of the Son and become mature and so forth. Right? That, so the pastor teacher is in that communication process and this is why do we need this huge communication thing before we had the law God's revelation of the law and how it was disseminated through the nation Israel and then how the nation Israel was supposed to take that information to the nations but they didn't do a good job they will but they didn't that was the level of information that was the information that was there at the time that God wanted the nations to know which was salvation and yet so now we have this new level of information that wasn't revealed the disciples couldn't handle it and it would start to be disseminated at Pentecost so the pastor teacher if he's in this level or this process where it goes from the Father to the Son from, and then the Holy Spirit takes from the Son and gives it to us, how does he give it to us? He says he gives communication gifts. He gives <clears throat> prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Those are communication gifts. So the prophets have given us all that Jesus has told us. The prophets give us the revelation of God. Evangelists are focused on giving or teaching the gospel. Pastor teachers are, are focused on not only teaching the gospel, but all the deep things of God so that the body of Christ can be built up 
until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge in the Son of God and become mature. So, <clears throat> so this level of communication is interesting to me as I think about it. And I think that the pastor teacher has to be understanding of this. If they are, then this is what they're going to be talking about. It's just like, it's just like what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul said it this way. In verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Wow. This is literally saying that we recognize where we are in the level of communication, and we are going to take our role from God the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Truth, who has given us the deep things of God. This is what the pastor-teacher is subject to. It is not his job to talk about politics, to talk about uh, relationships, you know, all the things that you find pastors talking about. It's, it, and it's not to say he can't talk about such things. It's to say that he has an agenda before him set that he is supposed to, he can use any analogy he wants to, and yet he has to have an agenda. He has to have a goal in mind, just like the goals that we already established. So whatever he uses in society and culture, and <clears throat> agricultural, political, whatever analogy he uses has to contribute or lend to the mind of Christ, which is this new information that has been given to us. It's important that he stay on point because obviously he didn't come up with this. He's only someone who was teaching what the spirit of truth has impressed upon him by a gift, by way of communication gift. This is what God wants in this age. So it's good for not only us to know us to know it, but everybody should know. Everybody in the church should understand that whatever they do, it contributes to the whole of what God is expecting of the eternal purpose. So we made it known, and it's our objective to make it known to those around us. <clears throat> That's what God is saying. Those who we can make it known to. We're moving forward in our notes. We're, we're at point number three now. So Christ says, uh, verse 26, I have made you known to them. This is the prayer. This is the last sentence of the prayer. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. <clears throat> so, it's a mouthful. <laughs> It's a lot of lot to let's break it let's break it down if we can. The first thought made you known. So the Greek has the word anima, and that is literally or figuratively the authority or character. Really, the word anima means name, right? That's it's the Greek word for name. <clears throat> but it doesn't just mean like I just made your name known. <laughs> It's, it refers to the authority and the, the, the plan of the Father. Making the Father's name known is not just, well, I let you know that there is a Father. It's a, such a name as Father. No, it's, it's about his plan. So we need to make sure that whatever we're talking about will eventually lend to or dovetail into the Father's plan. That's what we need to make sure. As we are walking around in this world, as those who are in the place that God has put us, whatever gift he has given us. <clears throat> Point B, the name made known is not only the designation for a person, but it also speaks of their identity and authority of the person with the highest priority. Uh, and so, name dropping. So we do name, I, I, already, I think we already taught this thought 
about name dropping. Why do people do name dropping? It's because they want to let people know that they're associated with people of power or people of, of celebrity or something. So they drop names. And if people are dropping, yeah, I was with um, this person and that person, that, and they're talking about famous people. I'm not even going to name any famous people. But you know, all of you fill in the blanks yourself. And I was with this person. Yeah, we, last night so-and-so called me and and uh, he said this and we talked. And, and after a while, the person starts to think, wait a minute, this person is associated with all these famous people or people with power. Uh, this is somebody here. If he's associated, you know, this is what we call name dropping. But notice the name dropping that's going on here. In verse 26, I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that. Now, now the name dropping is, is not Jesus saying these things so that we would think he's somebody. He's saying these things because he's talking to the Father. And whether or not we ever heard this prayer or not, it, it, he's praying to the Father. But this prayer is also instructive for us, informative and instructive to help us understand who uh, the Father is and his plan for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice what he's talking about, and he understands what's going to happen in the next verses, where he's going to be head to the Garden of Gethsemane, and eventually, just like he said in 14, uh, I'm not going to be here much longer. Don't let your heart be troubled. Right? All that's going to be ha happen, just as he said. But he is still talking to the Father. So he's not really name-dropping, but as we are now given this information, we ought to know that, yes, Jesus is associated with these, the Father in his plan. And he is name-dropping on purpose because this is the area that he is the he is somebody who is important and he is associated with this person the father and he is making him known so yeah name dropping is he's talking about the person of highest priority the highest authority the father that he is operating under a plan that has been given to him by the Father. Point C, let's keep going. Jesus revealed the Father, as we already have discussed in John 1, 18, and, his, and the entire plan of the Father is invested in his Son. That's John 16, 15, which we, <clears throat> we read as, I don't know if we read it, but I think we did. But let's just read it again, John 16 and 15. Yeah, I think we did. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from what, from me what he will make known to you. Notice he doesn't receive it from the Father. He receives it from me, Jesus says. Well, that's it with recognition that he received it from the Father. Some of these things may be obvious, but I have to say them to make sure that they stay this process stays relevant in your mind. The Father handed all things over to the Son. Right? We, why do we say it that way? Roman-style adoption. Right? The greatest transfer of wealth and power has been given to Christ. And he has it. Christ has received it, and now it's his. And he says, well, the Spirit will take from mine, from what is mine. Anyway, <clears throat> so this, this is to say, the entire plan of the Father is invested in His Son. And we said that there is a matter of trust in all of this, where the Father entrusts everything He has to the Son. And that would be to say the Father knows that the Son will properly represent Him. And we, we discussed a little bit of this last week when we talked about the Christ says, I am the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Well, I'm visibly showing you exactly what you need to know about who the Father is. And this is all creation. So, <clears throat> so that's true. 
he had to invest and trust. We should trust that what the what the Son is revealing to us is exactly what the Father wants us to know. We should trust it implicitly that that is what is happening here. Because before the Father would sign off and say, okay, the Son is the image of the invisible God, he had to fully know that the Son is able to reflect his being perfectly. Point D. So the name was given to Christ. And what name is that? Son. This refers to Roman style adoption. So all of this is part of how we receive this revelation, right? God chose to give it to us in this manner. There's a lot of ways he could have done it. Maybe. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe this was the best way that would perfectly reflect what he is trying to convey. And it is this Roman-style adoption. And what is the name? Son. So when we see the name son, it's not just, well, yeah, you're just my son because, you know, of natural, of natural birth. You're a son because of this Roman-style adoption thing. That when it says, I will make you, I have made you known to them, I will continue to make you known in order that they may... Uh, that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself. So this whole thing, this verse, is a lot to say. It, and, I, and I like the idea that it is the last verse in our discourse because, wow, it says so much about all the things that have been discussed. It talks about love. It talks about I am in them and you're in me and I'm making you known to them and they're... Uh, all of that is a part of what has been discussed and we should remember going forward. So that name, so if I say son, not only does Christ have that name, but guess who also has that name? We do. We are sons. And then Paul makes the point, well, if you're a son, then that means you're also an heir, an heir of God. So it, we have the same relationship to the Father, and with the knowledge that has been invested in us. When it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world, there it is. We are in Christ and part of the eternal purpose of the Father. So uh, so let's keep going. Point, as I said, point D, this, this refers to Roman-style adoption, and that's important for us to understand and even when we look at not only son, but the word son, huias is the Greek word. There's other words that are used for the same thought, and that is children. So we are children, uh, and if we're children, then we're heirs. If we're a son, right, that we have the spirit of, our, of a son in our hearts, and, and it causes us, causes us to cry out, Abba. To the Father, right? So, both words speak of more than what their English equivalents suggest to us. Both words speak of something that is revealed to us through by means of the Spirit. Hopefully, you you will understand this thought. Point E: the name represents the highest authority, dignity, majesty, and honor. Why? It's the highest priority. It's the highest authority. Can't be anything higher than what we are. And I like what it says, and Christ was raised up far above all principality and power and every uh, dominion and title that could be named, not only in this age, but in any <coughs> successive future age, this, what we have been raised to in the person of Christ. And he is the head of the body, <clears throat> the church, which is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is all in Ephesians 1, we could read those things. So when we talk about the name, it's the highest authority 
there it is. And this language, again, comes by revelation. Let's look at a couple verses. In 17.10, he says, All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. So that Christ is representing this whole idea of mutual possession. Father is giving everything over to the Son. So Christ is saying, all I have, this is mine now, is yours. In other words, you gave it to me, and all you have is mine. So Christ is saying, I'm giving everything I am in this world over to you. Glory has come to me through them. Those are the ones you have chosen. So the glory has come through them. They are part of the plan. They're part of who I am. And we could go all the way back to John 3, 35, where we see some of these things represented. <clears throat> 3, 35, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. That's representative of the entire plan is placed in the hands of the Son. It's, he's the highest authority. Uh, 13, 3, John 13, 3 says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, his authority, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So these are <clears throat> things Jesus understood while he was here on the earth. John 16, 15, which we already read. Uh, Matthew 28, 18. Let's just look at it. Says... Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven. <clears throat> it's not just in here on earth, but in heaven too. This is the highest authority there is has been given to him. Right? And this, so this is important for us to know about when we talk about uh, who Christ is, who the person of Christ is. And then Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. Uh, let's read that. <clears throat> so it says, And his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is life <clears throat> is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, and not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, God placed all things, all creation, under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So Christ, <clears throat> in his deity, already has the highest authority. But now, we're talking about the God-man, the Son, this new title, the son who has this rule and authority. Who is the son? <clears throat> he has not only divine power, but he has, because he's the creator of all things, just like we read in Colossians 1, <clears throat> but he has uh, glorified humanity, which is the fulfillment of the Father's eternal purpose. Now all of this is in one person. Forever. And this is the, to uh, the Father's glory. Because this is what the Father wanted from eternity past. <clears throat> Sorry about my voice here. Philippians 2.9. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the, him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So Jesus is the son. He, this is the name. This is the designation of the person who has received the title, Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Why? Because of all that has been invested in this person. <clears throat> what God the Father was able to do through the person of Christ. So Philippians 2.9 also speaks of the heights to which he has been revealed. And remember, all the transferred wealth and power speaks of adoption. Point F. 
continue, where he says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. This thought in point F is continue to make you known. Jesus continues to reveal more of the plan in the church age, as we already talked about in John 16, 12. But Jesus says, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will. So the whole church age is about the revelation of this new information and new age and new purpose that is revealed for the Father that is in Christ. So that's what we, we ought to know, right? To continue to make you know. So what Jesus said in John 16, all that he said about man, he said a lot, 14 through 17, he said a lot in those chapters. But man, there's much more to know about the Father's plan. Much more. And it is revealed in the epistles. Uh, and we know the Apostle Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books, but there were also Peter and James and John and the other disciples who had an opportunity uh, through God the Holy Spirit to commit their thoughts about the plan to writing so that we could benefit from the Father's plan through the agency of these prophets. So... I know, <clears throat> I know that uh, people talk about, well, there's no prophecy in the church age. Well, there are prophets. Why are there prophets if there's no prophecy? In other words, predictive prophecy. It's because prophets reveal the revelation of God. And we need them because the information that God revealed was not made known to the uh, previous prophets in the Old Testament. So God had to have new prophets. So this age is now uh, underway. So this is when he says, I will continue to make known, make you known. Jesus is continuing to make known the Father's plan. Even though it belongs to Jesus, he's the repository. Everything re is now his. Look at the humility that Jesus has. He still brings the Father on board to let us know that this information that I've received comes from him. This is the highest authority. This is name dropping, as we, we were discussing earlier, to say that this plan was not mine. I have it. It's, it's being realized through me. But really, it's the Father's plan. Jesus is giving recognition to the Father. And so that humility... That stance, that understanding, continues in the church age. We find the Apostle Paul. Praise be to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly. So he chose us. So the Father made decisions, but then he handed it over to the person of Christ. So what do we do? We do the same thing Jesus does in recognition of the Father. He doesn't hide the Father and say, well, I'm not, it's not important anymore about who you are because everything you are, you gave it to me. No, Jesus continues to reveal the Father. And that is the stance of humility that we see is brought forward all throughout the epistles in the New Testament. So it is the stance that we have. We have recognition of the Father we, just like Christ inherited all things, we inherit all things. Where do we inherit them from? From Christ? No, we inherit them from the Father. Because we stand in the very position of the Son, just like Christ does. We stand to inherit, not from the Son, but from, from the Father, just like Christ did. So we now have recognition of the Father as well. Point G, look, we're, we're just about done here. The love you have for me may be in them. This is point G. And this part of it, where we talk about love now, Christ understood the tremendous call on his life. And we are to realize this as well. 
why is why should we realize it? Christ says, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that. So there's our word hina again in the Greek means purpose clause. I did this I did this in order that. And he might continue to come up with different ways that hina can be used, but all of this is representative of facets of the truth that is revealed from the things that Christ has taught us. A lot of these, but when we get the hena here, we get this Greek word, it helps us to break down the sentence and help us understand uh, the import and importance of what is, is revealed to us. So how, how does it look at it? How do we look at it in this verse? I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known so that you will know that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. So we turn a corner here. The love you have for me may be in them. So Christ understood the tremendous call of his life. He, this, this was something very important. The love you have for me speaks of the fact that the Father chose the Son for this very important purpose. What, what, what does this purpose mean? Well, I want you to go to Nineveh or something. No! This purpose that Christ was chosen for before time began, that goes all the way back to verse 5 where Christ said, Father, I want, I want you to give me the glory that I had with you before the world began. This was something that happened before creation that Christ understood that the Father had invested in him and it would result in glory. And that goes all the way back to verse 10 where he says, I, all I have is yours, all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. So he understood this call on his life. He had a great respect and honor that this call was given to him. That he would be the one to carry this ball through all the way to the goal line. A football analogy for you football people out there. So he knew that this call was on his life now. He's the one who got the ball. And he's going to, he, he's, he's wanting us now in his closing prayer to the Father to recognize the privilege and honor that we have as those who have been chosen in him before the creation of the world. We are supposed to realize it as well. We're supposed to know the dignity, the honor, the prestige, the importance, the authority that, is, that we have in Christ. The love, the trust, the respect, the, the, the uh, of giving, or, or, or the Father giving this position to us that we have in the world. So we ne we're not going to see it at this point. You know what? The world doesn't realize it. The world can marginalize us and place us wherever they are, we are in, in, our, in the world. Right? We can't ride on the high places in the world and say we have this honor. It, does, it is not evident at all. If I look at any of you, I will not see this except for that I see it in the word of God through the revelation of the spirit of truth. Now, I see what God has invested in you and me in this age. But the world, don't look in the world for it. Don't look at people in the world to acknowledge it and to say, okay, I do see who you are and let's give you the praise and honor you deserve. You're not going to get it in this world at all. Because it is spiritual. It is something that God has not revealed to the world. He has revealed it to us. And we now are the way that he's revealing it to everybody. Now, will the world even, even if the world, just like when Christ came, what did they do? They heard him, they rejected him, and they crucified him. He died in this world as a result of 
you know, at their hand, as it were. But really, it all played into God's hand because that was how it went down and, and it worked out. Even the wrath of man, God still used that in his favor to fulfill his purpose. So that's a, that's a special love, I would say. That leads us to point H. The Father's special love is expressed in his choosing us and placing us in Christ before time began. That's Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. I mean, this, those words are so poignant. It says it right here. Uh, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, just notice, what you always read about is what we've been blessed with. But you're not seeing why we've been blessed. So watch. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's who's the subject of this sentence? Somebody might say, it's the Father. Nope, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just saying... That God and Father, he's the Father of our Lord Jesus. All of this speaks of the plan who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So so the subject here is Christ is the one that has been raised and has been given all of this. He's the because we're talking about the Father, that's the name of the one who has conveyed all of this to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has blessed us. How did he bless us? By choosing us to be in Christ. So Christ is the one who received all of this, every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. Christ is the one who received that. We receive it by virtue of verse four, where he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight, and love be predestined us for adoption to sonship. You see how it flows. You see that. So uh, that one verse characterizes us and how we got to be in the place where we are. It is through what the Father has chosen for him. It's just like what we read before about how we uh, are children, and we're children, then we're heirs, and we're heirs of God. Because we are chosen in Christ, and everything that has God has done for the person of Christ, he has also done it for us. So uh, let's keep going. We can always talk about this a little more, but we'll try to work through the thoughts here. Oh, in Romans 8, 29 and 30 as well. We've read that where it talks about uh, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Then it says, for those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. All of that is a reference to us and how we will receive glory because of verse 4, Ephesians 1, 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. That's why Romans 8, 29 and 30 is true and how we get to the place of glory. I, point I in our notes, the love refers to the father choosing the son. Okay, so we're talking about the love from two different places. One, from the father's perspective, and then that's an I, and J is from our perspective, right? So so the love refers to the father choosing the son, and that's where he said was Roman-style adoption. For the father to choose the son is it's an intelligent choice. Right? It's a choice that the father has to invest everything he has all his power, all his wealth, into the Son, which is the greatest transfer of wealth and power. Now look, the Father is God. 
He's not retiring. He's still going to be God after all this is done. It's the person of the Father, they're, he's just using this as a teaching aid for us. Don't look at the Father handing everything over to the Son and say, okay, now I'm gray and old and feeble and I'm just retiring. I'm going to be off the scene and you, Son, you're going to take over everything. That's Roman-style adoption. But that's not what's really happening here. What's really happening is the Father has a plan, and this is how the plan unfolds. And he's using all of these training aids to help us understand what that plan is. So, so I, the love refers to the Father choosing the Son, Roman style, which is the greatest transfer of wealth and power. J, the love also refers to the trust and confidence the Father has in in and for the Son and choosing Him and placing on His shoulders the eternal purpose. All that belongs to the Father's mind. I said that that J was the perspective of us. It's really still the perspective of the Father. Both I and J would be the perspective of the Father handing all things over to the Son. It has to do with trust, confidence. Right? It, the son accepting all of that is talks about commitment and obedience and fulfilling and fully reflecting the father's plan if I were to talk about that, but we didn't in this outline. K is the last, which is a verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. Wow, the Corinthians were trying to lift up human leaders, human pastors. Imagine that. To say that they're the greatest. If you just follow under so-and-so, you'll have it. You missing, you're missing the point of the whole communication system that God set up. One man waters, another plants, another man waters, but God gives the increase. Don't worry about the, the workers in the, in the vineyard, as we could say. So all things are yours, whether Paul, Paul includes himself in all of this, Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, the present or the future, all are yours. It's all about us and this body receiving the information through these means. We could say through these metaphors, through these people who are not important to the Father's eternal purpose. They're not icons, but it is the Father communicating through them to us. The death, if it says whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You are of Christ and Christ is of God. That's our position in the Father's eternal purpose. All are yours. Now how can we say all are yours? And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. If you did not have the same prerogatives of Christ, then all would not be yours. But we do have the same prerogatives of Christ. What is true of Christ is true of us. So what's true of Christ? All, all belong to Christ. These, these words really are because of him. They don't belong to us because we've earned them. They belong to us because we are of Christ and Christ has the relationship of God it is one person Christ is one person and two natures so he speaks of all that both natures accomplish for him he has all of that so we will have to close I know I'm over time a few minutes here but not to say we can't talk about this some more, and we will talk about this some more, uh, but uh, we have reached the end of our time for today, and we're going to conclude, and we'll come back next week 
with as we're done with this review we will we will finish up anything we haven't discussed next week but we will begin our overview of Galatians chapter 1 so stay tuned let's bow our heads as we close thank you father for as we have completed this review somewhat we, we could still have much more discussions about the implications the the information that has been brought to uh, our knowledge, we, we want to embrace it, Father. But before we can embrace it all, we need to make sure we understand it all. And we have opportunity as this is the subject. And we want to be able to understand these things fully. Thank you for putting us in the position you have, for choosing us in Christ before the creation of the world. This is our destiny. No matter what's going on in our lives right now, this is the destiny you chose for us. Thank you, Father, for choosing us in this manner and for this purpose. We pray that uh, we will walk worthy of the calling that we have received and that we will fully understand what you've have called us to so that as we walk in our purpose we will realize that purpose even more as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ it's in his name we pray amen amen amen, amen.